All right, I, I don't know. I was sitting right in front of the speaker, so I can never really tell if we're singing loudly or if I'm just sitting right in front of the speaker. Shay, were we, did it seem louder today, like the voices were louder? Okay, because you're sitting right there. You're all coming at the back of your, your hair was moving a little bit. Uh, yeah, okay. I'm just going to slip to the other side. All right, before I get into the sermon, I have a quick announcement or, I don't know, a piece of information. I, not everyone that needs to hear this is going to hear it, I guess, but um, my wife, Kendra, who is, I guess, just went with the kids, she runs a children's ministry here at uh, True Vine Tyson Ave. And uh, one thing we want to ask is we need to, I guess, tighten, tighten up on how we let our kids run around. Uh, this is a big building, and there's like secret passageways. There's actually a troll underneath the steps uh, that you have to answer a riddle before you can go up the steps. Um, we just uh, want to make sure that, number one, we don't lose a kid. Number two, no one gets hurt. Um, it, it should go without saying, but it doesn't. No one else is watching your kids. Um, I mean, when we take them to the children's church, the children's church teachers are watching them. But after that, there is no like babysitter hawk that flies around watching all the, uh, the kids that don't belong to them. So um, I just want to ask you to, if you got kids here, keep an eye on them. Um, if they get hurt, I'm going to take them to you. I might hurt them a little more. Then I'm going to take them to you. If they get lost, uh, you know, I guess we'll just pray for them. I don't know. You know, I, so it's a big building. That's the main thing I want to drive home. It's a big old building, and a kid could wander halfway to Jersey without ever leaving this building. And we just want to keep a, keep a tight rein on them. So this is what I'm asking. Number one, if you brought a kid, pay attention to it. Uh, I refer to them as it. Number two, after the service, let's try to keep them all in the house. Uh, once they get over here, all sorts of stuff goes wrong. Uh, you know, we had Ife was up here preaching antinomianism from the pulpit last week. We can't have that. You don't want antinomianism. You all know. So, and plus, last thing is, there's some, like, old expensive stuff in here. I don't even know how old or expensive it is. Some of it's, like, 130 years old. I'll tell you right now, we don't have the budget to replace it. So, if you have the budget to replace it, you can let your kids run around. But if you don't have the budget to replace it, I would invest in a leash or some sedatives, <laughs> GPS, shot collar, I don't know. I mean, there's lots of things out nowadays. For that kind of stuff. All right. Are we good on that? Watch your kids. Because no one else is. Okay. Uh, we're going to get into Nehemiah 8, which is where we were last week, actually. We're going to get in the, the second half of it. And we're picking up there. We're, we're in this series on Nehemiah. I personally am really enjoying this series on Nehemiah. Um, because I feel like it connects with what our church is, is about. A little bit. Uh, there's a, a big old community transformation theme in the book of Nehemiah. Because Nehemiah oversees, of course, you should be familiar with this, the rebuilding of the physical wall around Jerusalem. And now we're taking this turn in the, in the book where uh, it's not about the building, the physical building so much as creating a culture within the city. And so last week we looked at the first eight verses of Nehemiah chapter 8. 
where he opened up the book of the law and began to read, read to them. And do you remember from last week how people responded when he opened up the book, what happened? They all stood up. I don't know if you guys have picked up on this, but we've been secretly trying to slip that into the services the last couple of weeks at both campuses, even yesterday at the baptism, asking people to stand up when we read the Bible. Have you, have you noticed we do more of that lately? Okay, that's not an accident. It's because we read it in the Bible and think it's a good idea. I don't know that we're going to do that every single time. We might forget. I, you know, I don't know. But I think at least for a season, it would be good for us to learn how to honor the Word of God by standing up when we read it. So if you wouldn't mind, just kidding, I'm not ready yet. But I saw some of you, that was like a Simon Says trick. The Davises are both ready to go. It was quick. All right. Uh, but yeah, we're going to be in uh, Nehemiah. <laughs> Actually, I am ready. Go ahead and stand up. I'm going to read this. Uh, it's going to be on the screen. And I will read it, but if you would just stand with me. Uh, this is the rest of Nehemiah chapter 8. Remember, they're standing in the square. The, the book of the law, the first five books of the Bible are being read out loud. They're standing. Then Nehemiah, who is the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. All the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. Then on the second day, the heads of fathers' households of all the people, the priests and the Levites, were gathered to Ezra the scribe that they might gain insight into the words of the law. They found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. So they proclaimed and circulated a proclamation in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the hills and bring olive branches and wild olive branches, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. This is... Uh, written in, when he says as it is written, he's referring to Leviticus 23, the Feast of Booths. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each one on his roof, and in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square of the water gate, and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. The entire assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in them. The sons of Israel had indeed not done so from the days of Joshua the son of Nun to that day. And there was great rejoicing. He read from the book of the law of God daily from the first day to the last day. And they celebrated the feast seven days. And on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the ordinance. You may be seated. So, uh, I think this is really simple today. And I don't think we necessarily need to have a, a just go long today because I think this is very simple. You can go back to the first slide for me, Nate. Uh, I really enjoy verse 9. It says, Nehemiah, Nehemiah, what was he? Okay, good. Thank you, Diana, for reading. All right, Nehemiah was the governor. What was Ezra? The priest and scribe, right? 
And then the Levites were the priests. Uh, they taught the people. So there's three different layers of leadership here. And all three layers of leadership agree. And it says, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. So you have Ezra, the priest and scribe, Nehemiah, the governor, and the Levites all agreeing on the purpose of the day. That's important. Not everyone in the Bible agrees. But they're all agreeing on the purpose of the day. They said, this is a holy day. Do not mourn or weep. I don't know about you, but when I, if I'm reading the Old Testament and I see it's a holy day, I immediately think mourning and weeping. I'm like, let's go get the, uh, the sackcloth out. Let's get the ashes. It's, it's about to be really painful for the next couple days. But they say it's a holy day. Do not mourn or weep. And they actually call for a celebration, which I think is kind of a curveball to the people of Israel because here they've rebuilt the wall they're hearing probably the word of the Lord for the first time in a long time. I don't know if it's been weeks or months or years, but they're hearing it. They're probably in Leviticus 23 where it's talking about the Feast of Booths. And they're weeping and mourning because of how bad they have dropped the ball, how bad they've screwed up. And the leadership in agreement says, this is a holy day. Do not mourn. Do not weep. Because everyone was weeping and mourning. And then they tell them, go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, send portions to him who has nothing prepared. This is my kind of thing. This is almost turning into a block party. It's important to remember that the Old Testament has more feasts than fasts. I'm for fasting, believe it or not. I'm for fasting. It's important. Jesus said, when you fast, not if you fast. But it is important to remember that there is also a time to feast and to celebrate and to rejoice. That both of those are equally important. And uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes says that there's a time for everything under the sun. And sometimes our job is just to discern what time is it. Is it a time to weep and to mourn or is this a time to celebrate and rejoice? I think that the reason they were weeping and mourning... It's probably because as they were reading the Bible and seeing how they've fallen short, they probably start to felt really bad. And I wonder if they immediately, in view of their own wickedness, lost sight of God's goodness. And that they were kind of more caught up in their own junk than they were caught up in the glory of the Lord. I mean, yeah, I get that they've screwed up, but look what God, look at the trajectory that they're on, that God has them on. They've rebuilt the wall in 50 some days. Uh, they're reinstituting the culture that Moses instituted and wanted them to live in. Things are actually looking up for, for Jerusalem at this point. And there does come, at the end of this passage and into chapter 9, we'll see, there does come a solemn assembly, a time for them to fast, but it's not yet. And their leaders rightly discerned what time is it. It's time to feast, it's time to celebrate, because this is the key, they're on a good trajectory. I think it's important for every community of faith to understand the trajectory that they are on. When they're on a bad trajectory, it is appropriate to fast and mourn and weep so that you can recenter yourself on Jesus. But when the trajectory is, is good, it's okay to celebrate. Not only is it okay in a passive sense, it's good to celebrate. You know, because that encourages people. People are drawn to celebrations. It, it fills people up with life. 
The church should be good at celebrating. Because we have a, a God that throws a, a banquet for us at the, you know, at the, end of time, at the end of the age. And uh, when the prodigal son came back, they threw a banquet. And we just have a feasting God. And so, I, you know, if you want to simplify it, there's more feasts than fasts in the Old Testament. Both are equally important. Neither one is more important than the other. But it's important to know the time. And in verse 8, he says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I think he wants them to be strengthened instead of weakened during this. So they calm everybody down. And uh, all the people went away to eat and drink. I don't know how long it took them to convince this. I mean, I'm one of those guys that's like, you only got to tell me once to go eat the sweet portions and the fat portions. Uh, my life verse is from Leviticus. The fat portions belong to the Lord. So that was a joke that no one got. All right. If you could go to the next slide for me there. Thank you. So on the second day, the heads of the father's household, so this is another, yet another layer of leadership here. We're making a little transition. Uh, the priests and the Levites, they're gathered and they're reading from the book of the law. It does say that it's the seventh month. So for them, it's, uh, it's actually the beginning of the new year. And they're about to go into a season of time called the Feast of Booths. Can you say Feast of Booths? All right. It's also called the Feast of Tabernacles, or if you want the Hebrew name, Sukkot. Can you say Sukkot? Okay. They're about to go into this eight-day-long festival, this celebration, feast. It's a, it's a good thing. I think it's actually, I might be wrong, but I think it's actually in John 8, where Jesus, it says that during the feast, on the eighth, it says on the eighth day, Jesus stood up, he said, all who are thirsty, come to me, and you'll find water that never runs dry. Do you remember that, Jesus saying that? He's saying that on the eighth day of the Feast of Booths. Okay, so, uh, because on the eighth day of the Feast of Booths, they had this ceremony where they would dump out all this water. So he's saying, if you're thirsty, come to me, because Jesus was pretty sharp when it came to taking Old Testament pictures and applying them to himself. So they're going into this, and... Uh, I'll just pick up in verse 14. They found written in the law, this is probably in Leviticus 23, how the Lord commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. So they proclaimed, well actually, you know what, let me just, let me focus on booths. Nate, go in two slides for me. Yes, okay. This is called a sukkah. Can you say sukkah? All right, it's a booth. There's a holiday, well, the Feast of Booths, which we've been saying, is a Jewish holiday. You can find it in Leviticus 23. During that eight-day period, the Jews were to build temporary shelters or booths or sukkahs. Sometimes they would even call them tabernacles. Just a temporary thing, okay? I don't think they had lattice... <laughs> and two by fours back then, but you would build a temporary shelter. You were supposed to put twigs and leaves and tr uh, tree branches on top and even hang fruit from the bottom. You were not supposed to completely finish the roof. You were supposed to be able to see through the roof and see the stars in the sky. And you were supposed to live in it for eight days during that time. Jewish kids loved it. It was like forced camping. 
You know, you got to sleep outside. You were supposed to eat your meals in it. The purpose of the Feast of Booths was to remind Israel of how they wandered through the wilderness for 40 years in temporary shelters. It was so that they would not forget that you had to wander and God was your provider. You did not get to put down roots. You did not get to claim land. You did not get to put uh, boundary lines or anything like that. You had to live in temporary shelters. And whenever the pillar of fire and pillar of smoke moved, you had to pack up your shelter and go. I mean, very nomadic. Uh, So this is a sukkah. If you go to the next slide for me, Nate, I have one more picture of it. That's a classy one right there. That one's in Jersey. The other one was uh, Fishtown. Just kidding. I don't know where these are from. But uh, the idea is that you were to eat in the uh, eat and live in these. I did see a picture online when I was getting these pictures. It must have been an apartment building in a in a heavily Jewish area. They all had these tiny little um, balconies, like not much bigger than one of these pews with tiny little sukkahs built on them, and they would go sleep on the balcony for eight days. Uh, The culture, uh, I should say the climate in Jerusalem is a tad bit warmer in uh, September and October, which is when this feast is, so sleeping outside would have been comfortable for them. And again, this was to remind them that for 40 years they did not have permanent dwellings. They had to be ready to go at the drop of a hat. They did not have their own land, and they had to be ready to move whenever... The time came. So, Nate, thank you. You've done a great job navigating these slides. Can you go back to the second slide for me? Great. Thank you. So, um, sorry, one more slide. Not great. Just kidding. Guys, man, I need to get some AC in here, Shay. They, they don't get it. All right. It's tough. All right. So they're saying, go out to the hills and uh, bring olive branches, and they're going to make these booths. Now the next slide. So the people went out and brought them and made booths on, his, on their roofs and in the courts, and the courts of the house of God. And they begin, for the first time in a long time, to really earnestly celebrate the Feast of Booths, <coughs> or Sukkot. Now, they may have been kind of half-heartedly celebrating it for years, but this is the first time that they really take it seriously. Prepare the, prepare this, the booths and live in them. I think this is fasc, fascinating and interesting because what did they just finish building? The walls to a city. The first thing God says is, remember when you didn't have a city? Remember when you like had to travel around in booths? It's almost like he's saying, I'm glad you got this city thing figured out, but don't get comfortable. Don't get, don't get, you know, don't take it for granted that you have a city now. Now that you have a city, remember when you didn't have a city. Remember when you had to wander around for 40 years. Remember when the best thing you had to live in was a temporary shelter, a glorified tent. You think maybe God's trying to teach them a lesson there? I think there is a lesson for us in this that when you have come out of something difficult, gone through a a challenging season or a test, then you come through and 
the sun starts to shine and the clouds part and everything's going great, how quick do you forget where you just came from? Like how, I'm pretty quick about it. And remembering what you learned during that season and applying it. And you, you follow me? Like they, their, their trajectory is positive. You know, they're coming into a good season, but God, I think, is reminding them, remember when things weren't so good. I think that creates gratitude in their hearts. It prevents them from taking blessings for granted. And I think God is very purposeful in doing this. That's kind of the lesson that I'm asking you to take home today. But I, I also want to kind of share with you something that we're going to do in the fall just so we can maybe broaden our understanding of Scripture. So Sukkot, or the Feast of Booths, it, I mean, this is a reoccurring thing that happens every year on the Jewish calendar. It's an eight-day thing. It's from a Saturday to a Saturday. So there's two Saturdays. It starts and ends on a Saturday. In, uh, on September 27th is the day that the Feast of Booths starts this year, and I believe it ends on October 3rd. Saturday to Saturday. This year, here at Truvine Tyson Ave, we are going to, to the best of our ability, celebrate Sukkot. Uh, we have about two months to get ready. It's not a giant thing or anything, but this is what we're going to do. Come late September, we're going to build a sukkah as best we can. You know, we'll get some sticks and sling them together. We'll put the twigs on top. There's actually, you're supposed to hang fruit from the ceiling. There's specific fruits, the lulav and the etrog, that have specific meaning. If we can find those, we'll hang them. If we can't, we'll hang bananas and oranges and pretend uh, that, that's, that, that they're the lulav and the etrog. During those eight days, I, I anticipate we're going to build it back here in this backyard. Okay, we're going to build it. We'll make it nice. During those eight days, I'm going to suggest that we have our discipleship group meetings, our Bible studies, in, in the sukkah. If it's not raining, we're going to have them in the sukkah. On the Sunday, there's only one Sunday during that time period, we're going to have our, our food out there. Uh, we're going to have our prayer meeting out in the uh, sukkah. And if you would like, I know some of you like to get together throughout the week, you ladies get together and braid each other's hair and paint your toenails and eat bonbons or whatever you do. Do that in the sukkah. All right, come on out. We'll, we'll make sure that it's uh, accessible to people. Plan a lunch date or a dinner. You know, sign your family up. I'll put someone on this that's administrative, that's organized, and we'll sign your family up to eat dinner in the sukkah one night. You know, come on over. It's a glorified picnic, but it's a way to connect with this Jewish festival. So at that point, sometime around that time, I'll be teaching on it. We'll try to have everything that we can possibly have in it that week. Um, we're not going to go probably full tilt, but I want us to learn about some of these uh, Jewish holidays and the Jewish calendar. Because I think God still runs on that calendar. And uh, we're going to do that. When I used to live in New York, I lived right outside of New York City in a heavily Jewish suburban area. Uh, come late September, early October, these sukkahs would pop up everywhere. 
And for some reason, I just have always found those things to be interesting. So I built one at the church, and the Jewish people would drive by and have no idea what to think. Why does that church have one of our, one of our booths? And we had a lot of Jewish believers or Jewish people come to faith in that church. And, you know, it's not just a Jewish thing, actually. This is our roots. This is part of our background. This is, I mean, this, you can learn a lot about Jesus from this. Uh, if nothing else, I mean, the whole idea from the booths that when the pillar of fire moves, you got to pull up your tent stakes and go. That is a life lesson for, for spirit-filled Christians, that when the Holy Spirit says do something, you gotta, you got to live your life, design your life in such a way that you can up and go and follow him and not say, oh, well... I have to take care of these things and take care of that. I'll be ready to obey you in like 18 months. You know, we want to live our lives, create our lives in such a way that if he calls us to do something, we can do it quickly. And that's a lesson that we can take from this. Any questions on the sukkah or sukkot? Go ahead, Shay, first. September 27th through October 3rd, I believe, are the dates. You can double check me, but it's a Saturday to a Saturday. It's the last Saturday in September to the first Saturday in October. Susan. Yeah, just up the street. Yeah, yes. Please do. Yeah, it's the Lulav and the Etrog. Well, Google it. Um, okay. Any other... Yeah, that's a great idea, Susan. Maybe let them know what we're doing. Or don't. I don't know. Yeah. Well, we'll leave it up to you. Any other questions? I want to lean... I'm putting them on the spot. I want to lean on Dan Keo to help me prepare some stuff for this because I know Dan likes this kind of stuff. Uh, I'm going to have Dan... He's already prepared a special dance. Uh, Sukkot dance. Uh, can't have dance without Dan. So that's a joke that you missed as well. Uh, all right. <laughs> so here's the, it's a little bit of a funny sermon today because I'm, you know, we aren't going to finish this passage for two months, kind of, when we finally do this Sukkot thing. Here's the, uh, <laughs> here's the lesson I want you to go home with today. As soon as the Israelites finished building the city, God reminded them of a time they didn't have a city. So, do not take these new seasons, new blessings for granted. Remember where you've been, remember where you came from, the lessons that you learned back then. Um, be grateful for the stuff that he's blessed you with. And, and I don't mean physical stuff, although that as well. And then be preparing, I guess, for this Sukkot thing. I'm excited for it. I, I don't know why, but I just like this holiday. It's right after the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. Uh, it's right around the same time. It's just, I think, a week or so afterwards. Um, October 3rd is the day we'll wrap up. October 4th is my birthday, so we're just a lot of high holidays all at the same time. Oh, you got that. <laughs> it's, it's funny that we would celebrate his birthday. All right. So make plans during that week, September 27th through October 3rd. Talk to your family. Talk, you know, 
Talk to someone in the church. Yeah, you want to do that? Let's plan a meal. Let's have breakfast in there. I used to eat breakfast in the sukkah all, all week long when we had one on our property in New York. Um, it's just a great learning experience. It's a little more tactile. Your kids will love it. We'll take the children's church out there and uh, just fence them in. Be like a big dog cage. Bless the Lord. All right. No more questions? All right. Weirdest sermon ending ever. Let me pray for us and ask you guys to prepare yourselves uh, for that in, in the next two months. Lord, I thank you for the reminders that you give us through the feasts of the Old Testament. Uh, that at times you call us to celebrate, that at times you call us to enjoy your presence and other people's presence, Lord. And I do pray that we would remember where we've been, that we would not take for granted the, the journey that you've taken us on and what you've done in our lives. And, and I also, Lord, set aside even ahead of time this week of Sukkot in September and October, Lord. I pray that we would learn stuff about our faith and our roots that we are unfamiliar with, new things, that we would get a deeper appreciation uh, for the feasts of the Old Testament, Lord, that we would see that Jesus is being foreshadowed in all of those, and that we would grow in our discipleship and in our love for you, Jesus. I pray that in your name. Amen. All right. Thank you very much, guys.